Yo, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Nick and Griff Show. Today is not Saturday. It is Wednesday. No, it's not Wednesday. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, May 24th. It is 6.06 p.m. Griff, how is your week coming? You've had Monday and you've had Tuesday. How's everything looking for you? Um, well, starting with, I actually feel a little bit better. So good, you know, I mean, like, as long as you got good energy, you can pretty much accomplish anything. Um, but yeah, it's been good. Just hot out here in California. I think it's like 96 today. So I don't know, just kind of battling that a lot of dry heat, but, uh, work-wise, yeah, we'll grind through it. I actually just got done with probably my busiest week of the year. So that week after that, you know, like nothing is mm-hmm. as like quite that busy. So I don't know. It's going was pretty it, well. Was it the busiest, busiest week of the year? Like it's typically like that, or it just happened to be your busiest week of the year up to this point? Well, a lot of my, so I do sales, right. in in sales, you know, like, I'm not sure what it's like for everybody, but in my job, like there's key activities, right? Like you want to do these certain revenue generating activities just because they're like shown to do well. Right. So I do lunches for offices, try to take doctors out to dinner. um, And sometimes even trying to have like the founder of my company come out and speak with them. You know what I'm saying? Because he actually invented our technology. um, And sometimes with doctors, it's just better to relay doctor to doctor than it is for me to try to even, you know, say much. Um, and last week I just, just said like a bunch of like, like lunches. A lot of them had my founder out here to speak twice uh, and had like another dinner on top of that. So it was just a heavy activity week and everybody has those at work, you know, um, For sure. but whew, it was just a lot, like a lot in a row, you know what I'm saying? And in sales, uh, you know, we could start a whole podcast on sales. I mean, I, I was just going to ask. I mean, you you and I have both been in <laughs> at one point or another. Um, I think we both. I, I I still am at some level. Um, you definitely are. What are some of the things you've learned over? I mean, what we've been started in our careers for what two years now or so, maybe mm-hmm. right around there. What are some of the things that you've kind of learned in that time? What do you think about like? Well, I mean, like I guess to be successful. Meaning like in sales or not successful? Uh, I guess times. maybe I guess maybe not just in sales, but what what have you learned in your career up to this point that you think translates really well to like, man, this has helped me in my life just in general? Yeah, I would say... We, we were kind of talking about this last uh, week, week or week and a half ago, whatever it was. That's such a good question because I feel like I've learned a lot. You know, just because I can we come from football and then I went straight into outside sales, which all business to business sales at that, which is a really interesting uh, paradigm shift because mm. what I've learned is it's really important to be true to your word. It really plays well. Mm. Don't don't overpromise yourself, you know, just deliver what you can deliver, because it seems like in life there's a lot of people who say they can do a lot of stuff. And there's very few people who can actually do anything. <laughs> and so it's like, I think I've just learned um, to really try to watch what I like promise to deliver. Because if you consistently under deliver, you'll lose the customer, you'll lose the relationship, the friendship, the whatever. You know what I'm saying? Nobody likes to be disappointed yeah. over and over again. I think that's probably one of the, kind of put on the spot, but I think that's pretty much the biggest thing I've learned after being in sales is just like trying to be true to your word a hundred percent of the time. And when you're not just throw the apology out there, take it, take it on the chin and like move on. You know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah, yeah, I I would say that's like genuinely probably like the biggest thing I've learned in the last two years. I don't know about yourself, but it's just it. Just being in sales, being straight up dude, that it's pace in my opinion, but I don't know. What have you learned the last couple of years between insurance and ascend commercial building? Um, I really got to refer back to the conversation we were having a couple weeks ago about just communication, you know, um, which, which kind of goes hand in hand with what you're saying, right? It's like, I, I don't, you know, of course, I guess this comes with confidence, right? You've got to build, you've got to build certain like foundations of who you are. Um, and, and you've got to be comfortable and, and understand who you are. Right. But at this point for myself, having built these certain foundations and we could, have a conversation about those right but man like just be who you are and just communicate right like whatever whatever has got to happen like ask the questions 
you know, I think uh, one of the things that I had um, that, that we were talking about a couple weeks ago again was um, not being afraid. Don't be afraid to be seen at the starting line. You know, like sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes whenever you feel like you're, you feel like you're beyond a certain point, but, and maybe you are in some sense in some parts of life, but man, I'm at the beginning of my, of my career or at the beginning of, um, of this race in this part of my life, right? This part of my life, I have not taken care of so great. And I'm at the starting line and I'm embarrassed to, to be here, right? A great example would be people at the gym, right? If you haven't been going to the gym and you're out of shape and you don't look good, and you don't feel good about how you look. And, but then you go to the gym and you feel nervous about being at the gym because you don't look good. It's like, don't be afraid to be seen there. That's right. where you've got to start. Right. And so I guess, I guess kind of to round that thought off, it's like, man, just be who you are. Ask the questions when you need to ask the questions. And sometimes, sometimes the truth gets you in trouble, <laughs> Yeah, but the truth is the best thing that you could tell. Right. I mean, it's like, this is, this is just who, this is genuinely me. This is genuinely yeah. what I'm thinking. This is genuinely what's happening in me. And you know, if, if you get, if you get thrown to the curb for that, Dude, like you you weren't in a good situation to jump, you know, from the jump. If you ask two experts the same question, they're going to give you two different answers. Sorry, if you ask two experts the same question about like the same exact thing that they're both experts on, they're going to give you two different opinions every single time. So I think life is a lot about trusting your intuition, but also staying like open minded and learning enough to actually be successful when something good is hitting you in the face, you know, just kind of knowing to take it. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely well, been interesting. You know, I think another part that, that we were thinking about at one point a while back was, um, you know, with social media as big as it is today, it's so easy to get caught up in what is this guy doing? What is that guy doing? Where am I at? You know, just this comparative trap that, that you fall into, right. Of, trying to measure your success level, your success level to others around you. And of course, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting in a sense, right? Uh, because, you know, you and I are a great example, right? I mean, you and I grew up in college football and had very similar outlooks on life at that, through that. And, uh, and then we, we leave college at the same time and we start careers at the same time. Of course, different paths, right? Different careers, uh, but but at the same time, right? And so it, it's it's interesting to look. Okay, where's this guy? Right, Nico is another one of those guys. All kind of on the same timeline, but we're all on three different paths, right? And so it's it's interesting. You and Nico and I were talking about it at one point. What was a busy day for you? A busy day for me? And a busy day for Nico? They're all three different things. It's three completely different things, you know. Or like a really great week for you, a great week for me. Um, a great week for Nico is like, those are all different weeks, you know? And so it's really tough to try to compare apples to oranges. Cause it's like, they're kind of the same, they're kind of the same shape. They're kind of the same size, but it's like, it's all different, you know? Yeah, it is. Uh, that's a really good point. It's, you gotta really have like goals for yourself, not like goals that involve, you know, like how am I doing in comparison to something else? Just like, you gotta have goals straight up, just goals for yourself. Whatever those goals might be, whether it's like making a lot of money, getting getting ripped, whatever it might be, like you gotta have your own personal goals and you gotta have like you gotta have a finish line drawn out that you're good with. Like it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, just like what you're good with. You know what I'm saying? Because honestly, here's another thing I learned in life. So once you start talking about Bitcoin and you work out a lot and you're willing to try new things that are on a little bit of the fringe and you're really like when you're chasing success and not looking good, you know what I'm saying? Like when you're actually chasing the success, like when you're actually pursuing something, it's really weird in life. Like other people look at it and it's just like weird to them. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people are really okay with, you know, lying a good chunk, um, having their career, kind of just doing what it takes to like hang around. Not a lot of people are out here really trying to make a new avenue. And like, as this is a Bitcoin podcast, uh, the moment you really get into Bitcoin, like Nick and I have, you're choosing a different path. Like you are literally choosing a path that most people do not 
uh, appreciate right now because it is totally against the way they're living their life right now, whether you like it or not. Uh, but mm-hmm. in life, you got to be comfortable with that when you believe in it. Um, and I don't know, like it's kind of tie that back into this Bitcoin podcast as we get to this market check here. It's like you can like, man, like you can talk a big game. You can listen to a lot of people talk, but you got to believe in something at some point. And you can't just let every outside influence change what you think all the time. You have to like really be careful about how you change when you change and, you know, then change that you make it better be impactful. So, uh, I don't absolutely know. started though. It was a good first 10 minutes right there, brother. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man, that was, that was fun for sure. You know, it's, it's interesting, uh, uh, moving on to the market check here. We've had, we've had such a interesting price action, you know, here recently, um, again, you know, we, we kind of talked about it last night when we tried to film this the first time and I had thunderstorm issues and we had connection issues. Uh, but, uh, you know, we kind of talked about this, but, you know, coming in, Griff, you and I, this is kind of like our first real downturn. Um, it, it feels like, I don't know, I maybe maybe it's not for you, but for me, it's like I, I, I bought at 57. We went up to 69 and we've been falling off ever since. Right. Um, so kind of seeing the first uh, the first like real downturn, it's like, man, this is kind of interesting to see play out in real time, um, you know, pulling up the. Uh, Pulling up the numbers here, you know, looking at Bitcoin here just on the day, uh, or let's look at the week here again. Look at this. I mean, we're we're up in the 30s, and then we come back down to the to the high 20s, and then we climb up kind of slow, get back up into the 30s, and then we fall back off to the high 20s. Um, and it's done this a couple of times here. I mean, just looking at looking at this area right here. Um, what is this from from the beginning of or from mid May, May 12th through to today we've gone up into the 30 uh, like you know 30 31 to 28 29 we've stayed around in that range we're just sitting around floating around right here which for you guys listening today again is tuesday may 24th 6 19 p.m and the price level for bitcoin is sitting at 29,750. um and let's look at the day on the s p 500 looks like it it started up a little higher fell off and then slowly climbed through the rest of the day um, on the week, still down. Um, I've got to imagine the, the NASDAQ is going to look the exact same. Let's look at the one month. Yeah, so everything's trending down right now. Uh, oh, yeah. Dow Jones is going down. I mean, everything's going down. Let's, crude oil is, is still up in over $100 a barrel. So, man, it's, it's interesting seeing some, uh, some, of these, some of these strange times for us when it's like the first time that we've really seen the market go down. Uh, but, you know, the important thing is that one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. We don't have to worry about this thing, man. I mean, we need to start this, pulling up some like market checks for just how many nodes there are out there, how many lightning nodes there are out there, what the, ter- what the hash rate is. Uh, just because like it is yeah, that would be interesting. semi-depressing. I mean, like looking at some of these charts. Uh, there's a lot of people getting into Bitcoin though, uh, in a time of this will be considered capitulation, right? When you just keep going from like 30 to 60 to 30 to 60, but one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. And since you've gotten into Bitcoin, I mean, how many major announcements has there been about different payment systems, accepting Bitcoin, different countries, accepting Bitcoin, uh, for sure. I mean, you're seeing some of it play out. And I think like we were talking about, maybe it was yesterday before we actually uh, cut it off. But the bigger that circular economy of Bitcoin, like that it grows, the bigger it gets, the more places you can spend your Bitcoin. I think the more real it also is because it'd be nice to have like your Bitcoin stack for the 30 year and then your actual lightning Bitcoin where you could just spend it wherever right now today because... I'd do it to be honest with you. I'd spend, I'd take all my, I'd take everything in Bitcoin. And then if I could spend it, it'd be great. And I think once we get to that point where you don't actually have to pick between store of value, medium exchange, and it really is just like infiltrating both ways, uh, it's kind of when the price doesn't matter as much anymore. Now, is the price going to go up? Is Bitcoin become more valuable? I just think that it's going to be tough to, traditionally measure that because if it does become as successful as we hope it does and we do hope that bitcoin goes as far as we think it can go that doesn't exactly mean good things for the dollar it doesn't exactly mean that a million dollar bitcoin is 
worth, you know, what we actually have been told what a million dollars should be worth. I mean, it's going to be a really interesting, it's another paradigm shift for not just like us, but for the whole world. I mean, dollars are supposed to be the most valuable thing out there. And as we know, day by day, this thing just keeps shrinking because it's less and less and less valuable. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out over the remainder of this year. Mm -hmm. Well, Griff, I'm excited to move into another guest episode. Yeah, here we go. I mean, we've had I don't know how many in a row, man, but. I'm excited about bringing new people on. I feel like we've learned so much um, from the guests we've had on the past several weeks, and we've got still several more to come on over the next several weeks, which is exciting, man. It's it's, it's a lot of fun. But I met this guy uh, last April, this past April, at my very first Tulsa Bitcoin meetup. And uh, we got to talk a little bit. We got to chat a little bit. Um, We didn't go too far into the conversation, but we got to talk a little bit. He was a cool guy. Liked him. I met a lot of people at that first one, so um, didn't really get to meet in, in too too much depth a lot of people. But got to see him again at the Tulsa Bitcoin Meetup this May, just just a couple of weeks ago, and we really got to sit down and talk about a lot more things. We've got to get um, a little bit more uh, a little bit more into the details, and uh, it was it was a great conversation. Got to meet his wife. His wife is super sweet. Um, Janae and I went to dinner with him and his wife, and we got to talk and chat some more. Um, super fun to get to like meet real life Bitcoiners, um, which is uh, it's funny because you know we've talked about this before. Um, for the for the most for the most uh, for vast majority of people, sorry, can't get my words out. For the vast majority of people, you you live this Bitcoin world online, right? And that's how I started my deal. That's why you and I were talking. Uh, uh, talking on the phone so damn much is because I didn't have anybody else to talk to in real life, right? So it's fun to get to meet people in real life. Um, and without further ado, I'm, I'm not I'm not even going to try to tell this guy's story. I'm going to let him tell it once we get on here. But Sean, welcome on to the show, brother. We are excited to have you on again. Maybe we can get through it the whole time this day. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Were you uh, were you at the gym here? Did you just get uh, just get home? Just get finished up in yeah, the shower? Just or something? Home. Just got out of the shower, exactly. What uh, what'd you hit at the gym today? Uh, I boxed. So I was at the boxing gym. Oh, hit the water bag. Boxing gym. Yeah. What? Where's uh, Where's the boxing gym here in Tulsa? It's uh, I won't give away the location on here, but uh, yeah, it's <laughs> South Tulsa. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm oh, there a lot. Griff, you're, you're, my, you're, you're muted there, Griff. It's a secret sauce, you man. You can't give away his secrets. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet spot. It's like you wouldn't expect it, and it's got one of the nicest rings I've ever seen. So he doesn't want to give it away. It's like a good uh, trying to think, like in Reno. You guys know, I don't. You guys probably never been to Reno, Nevada, but all sushi in Reno is pretty much like ninety nine percent of the restaurants that do sushi. It's all you can eat sushi. So there's a place in Reno, Tokyo Sushi. It has my heart. But man, like when I was in school. (laughs) It took like two good reviews and you couldn't get a seat anymore. You know what I'm saying? So you got to be careful about letting people know your spots if they really are that good. Unfortunately for the small business owner, you can't blow them up like for free all the time. Which is what it is. Hurts your experience. Sean, I, I've got a, a hilarious story. Speaking of sushi, uh, and I'll make this quick here because I, I, we got we to gotta get into your story a little bit. But Griff and I, whenever uh, – I think he mentioned yesterday during that last semester of college – uh, spring of 2020, whenever we were both free of college football at that point, we just had classes. We were door dashing, making some money. We had a very high time preference. We were blowing money. We were uh, our our now fiancés like to joke about it and say that we were dating during that time because we were just we were just hanging out all the time. We had so much free time. Well, anyways, we'd go a couple of times. Uh, we we had gone a couple of times to do all you can eat sushi at this one place. Well, we had found out after the fact that. If you don't eat all the sushi, they make you pay full pl- full price for it. Oh, yeah. not a good situation. I think <laughs> I think we had gotten all the sushi ordered, <laughs> and we got like I mean I got like we got a decent amount of ways in it, and I was like, dude, I'm sorry, but like I can't eat anymore, dude. Like I don't know what we're gonna do. And he was like, what do you mean? You know, we had like half of it left. Well, we ended up 
uh, we, we were going to pay. And she was like, hey, uh, if you guys don't eat all of this, you got to pay full price. And we were like, oh, so we're not doing that. You know, we're not going to be paying full price for this. And so I think uh, I think we each left with a couple of pieces of sushi in our pockets and in our in our, our hoodie bags or our hoodie like pockets, you know, in the front. Yeah, yeah man, that's <laughs> we were on the way back home. And Griff is eating a piece of sushi and chunking one out of the window. You know, it's crazy. Nobody ever calls you on that stuff at those sushi places. But of course, that one time, like, we're just like dead to rights. And we're like, well, <laughs> kind of like eat up or pay up time, you know, we figured it out, though. <laughs> I mean, slowly. Sean, do they have good sushi over in Toronto? I assume they have. Oh, yeah, Toronto. Yeah, people who aren't from there don't know. But Toronto's got the best food in the world. That's just it's a crazy oh. food city. Yeah. Hmm. And everyone always thinks I'm crazy when I say that, but like if you ever go, <laughs> you'll find out. It's it's actually crazy. Just because why, the restaurant is nice and the food is really good. Like or it's, hard to, it's hard to put into words, man. It's just kind of it's a big city. It's a place like New York and uh where there's just like the best of everything. And the food scene there, for whatever reason, there's just you know, it, I would say it's a few things. I mean, I think the food scene everywhere kind of took over. Uh, over the past 10 years, I personally think a big part of it is just um, phones. I think it's one of the last like oasises where uh, people actually put their phone away and hang out and talk to people. Um, so I, I actually happen to think that that's part of like the whole the whole food scene exploding over the past decade. I think that's part of it. And then um, I also think part of it's the fact that the money broke and, and it's just like that that roaring Growing 20s hedonism that we just came out of over the past decade, um, you know, especially in Canada, more so than America. Young people just got priced out of the retail uh, or out of the real real estate market. Like a bungalow up there is like 800 to 1.3 million. Um, if you're 25 to 35 years old, you were trying to save up a down payment. It just kept getting further further away, and it just resulted in this kind of degenerate hedonism. People weren't starting families. You know, it's all brunch, travel, dinner. So you would go out to a, a restaurant on Wednesday night, like any restaurant, Wednesday night, 11 p.m. in Toronto. And packed with like people 25 to 40 years old out for dinner uh, when they're supposed to be, you know, starting families and settling down and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, it was just this weird degenerate lifestyle that I remember, you know, my wife, like 2018, 2019, we would go out for dinner and like almost every time I hated being that guy, but I just had this overwhelming feeling. I was like, this isn't going to last. This is almost over. Like something's going to happen here. And, uh, you know, when COVID hit, I just, you know, I didn't plan on being that right, but um yeah it was it was it was definitely a weird thing to experience but anyways point being that the food scene there benefited from it the food in toronto is incredible it's it's just like pure hedonism it's uh some of the best food in the world if you have money well so you no arguments there i don't think you know what's that i said fiat money has produced some good food you know at least that's one thing that it's given to absolutely a lot of people like to eat plus take pictures of it you know what i'm saying i mean it kind of goes along with Fiat in the time preference deal. I mean, Fiat does make us all have much higher time preferences than if you had like money that wasn't getting printed away, obviously. So people are really looking for that good, cheap, quick experience. Nobody's really in anything for the long haul anymore. Nobody like works anymore. Nobody has like, you know, I got like, I got a little win today. Nobody knows like about competing for the little wins anymore. So I can agree with that sentiment because it's like out here in California, a lot of good food. A lot of people eating at really nice restaurants, and I'm like, what? Like, I'm like, I don't know. Like, you're either making a lot of money, or you guys are like clearly not like you know, like you're saying, starting a family, trying. Yeah, to there's just no point in saving, right? Like, yeah, 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 that that money, that that hundred grand that you're supposed to save over five years to buy a house, um, the house is just keep getting further. Like, nobody can afford a one point three million dollar mortgage on a regular salary. Even a, even like a couple of lawyers like can't afford that. You know what I mean? And yeah. so. Uh, they just gave up and went out for dinner every Wednesday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Monday. You know, yeah. like literally that's what was going on in Toronto. Going out is a form of giving up in a sense. Yeah. Hey, I mean, like, yeah, that's in, really, you know, and that's Unless what it felt like. Right? It felt like, uh, it felt like, you know, an end of the world party for like five years. That's a, wow. that is an interesting standpoint. So obviously you you're from Canada. Canada, you're from Canada. Yeah. We got to get the story down a little bit from Canada out right. here in Oklahoma. That's where you and Nick met. You guys met at the Bitcoin meetup, correct? And yeah. 
you're going back to Canada now, not to stay there. Obviously, you're you're kind of tired of it. But uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about how like you, you were there, then here. You're a small business owner as well. I'm yeah. assuming you can do some of that stuff over here in the states once you kind of get settled down. But uh, we should definitely yeah, well, let's see how that all plays out. The immigration yeah. situation is a bit awkward. It makes it difficult to start a business, but um. Yeah, so I left. Uh, I left Canada in September. Uh, my wife and I just need, we needed to get out. My gym had been closed for a year and a half. Uh, it was just you know it's no place to raise a family. We were planning to start a family. Um, my wife's pregnant. We're expecting our first kid in December, and we were you know just we had to get out of the country. So we left in September. Went down to Austin, capital city for Bitcoin. Um, got to meet a bunch of my internet friends in person, and that was really fun. We randomly found our way through Tulsa uh, and uh, it just felt like the right place to live. But, you know, even in Austin, you walk past elementary school, they were forcing kids to wear masks outside. And um, mm-hmm. so we came up to Tulsa, went to the gathering place for an afternoon, 500 kids, no masks. So we're just like, okay, Tulsa it is, let's do it. Yeah. And uh, all kinds of doors started opening. It just felt, feels like home right away. So, yeah, we're super happy to be here. So you guys were visiting, obviously, like Austin, uh Tulsa were these because you guys kind of knew there were good Bitcoin spots or uh, had nothing to do with Bitcoin. Tulsa was actually just like, we didn't even mean to come here. We happened oh. to be here for an afternoon and uh, it was totally off the radar. And like I said, we went to the gathering place and we just saw those kids without masks. And, you know, we were really just looking for a time machine. We just wanted to like go back to the early two thousands. Like back home, I, uh, you know, like I said, my gym had been closed for a year and a half. Uh, my brother coaches hockey. His, you know, the hockey program shut down for a year. And it was just like um, the idea of raising kids there was just kind of off the table. And, you know, same with a lot of parts of the U.S. And so we were just looking for the furthest thing from that where we could just raise kids in a normal environment. Man, mm. and that's Tulsa, huh? It produces kids like this guy, Nick. So hopefully you're okay with that. Exactly. Like- <laughs> he's a good guy well man the, the people from tulsa are incredible it's just it's something i didn't expect or know but ever since i got here i've just been blown away by the quality of people here it's amazing so it's it's, it's actually really special just jealous you guys have a bunch of Bitcoin well, friends there. it's kind of it's kind of interesting you know because there's you know and i'm sure it's like this with every city right i mean it obviously is right but you've got you've got north tulsa you've got east tulsa you've got west tulsa you've got south tulsa and, and all the different little areas within those. And they're all like, they're all completely different parts of Tulsa, right? And then you've got downtown Tulsa that's kind of in between like right right in Midtown and North Tulsa and West Tulsa. It's kind of right in the middle of that. And, and uh, it's pretty interesting because you've got different people all in those different areas, you know? Um, and so West Tulsa, where I grew up, is kind of more of like the um, older, more industrial kind of little bit more a little bit more country but not quite country yet yeah a lot of working class for sure and then south tulsa is more like the really like nicer neighborhoods more wealth in the in south part of tulsa east tulsa i'm not super duper familiar with that's more like broken arrow area correct yeah i think and i was Broken Arrow is kind of just like a sideways extension of South Tulsa now. It's kind of like South Tulsa swinging out. It's just kind of yeah. like medium affluent suburb. Um, it's pretty nice out there now. There's tons of new development, but it's crazy here, man. The real estate market, like you can buy like a decent new house for 250000 Like where I come from, that's just, I, I think that's a big, we, we were able to pick that up like right when we got here that, that one afternoon. There was something about the city where you could still get a house for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and that protects that degenerate slide um, into hedonism. Um, and, and people are still able to, you know, picture having a family at 25, 30 years old. And that's what's happening here. It's just there's tons of young families. Like having four kids is super normal. Having four kids by thirty is super normal. That's like totally not a thing where I come from in Canada, the west side of Toronto. I don't know one person who had a kid before thirty. Hmm. that's a big piece of it yeah you know there's 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 tons of cool stuff to do in tulsa too that's not like you know there's just a lot of cool little shops a lot of cool little uh you know where we went ate you know had tacos and margaritas the other night is super Mm -hmm. cool little spot different parts of tulsa they've all got always got different little things going on here uh but it's a lot of it's a lot of fun but uh, yeah the web in toronto there's like 250 of those restaurants that are all like top-notch 
and you can't go to 250 restaurants. So like, what's the point of that? It doesn't matter. Um, you don't really sacrifice anything in terms of quality coming to Tulsa. There's some amazing restaurants and coffee shops and stuff here. It's just, there's only like 20, but like, that's all you need. I don't, I don't, like I can't get, get around more than 20 good restaurants. Um, you know, going out like once every week or two, you know, something like that. You got your favorites and by the time you, you know, it's been six months since you've been to one of your favorite restaurants. That's all you can fit in anyway. So, um, no, you don't really sacrifice anything in Tulsa on that front. It's like really top notch food. Um, great music venues, tons of art, tons of, uh, you know, it's great golf here. Uh, you know, tons of other sports too. If you're a kid, like football and baseball and all that stuff. Huge, so now um, let's get down to the nuts and balls. I, I want to pick up on that part of the conversation. I've been waiting like I've been waiting since yesterday to hear your uh, Michael Saylor is a spook uh, argument per se. Like, I mean, I just want to hear it because I just want to. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's dive in on that. Well, I mean, yeah, I want to go right into it. My perspective is that Michael Saylor just is a spook. That's just like, as far as I'm concerned, that's a matter of fact. Like, I'll summarize his story in, in a way that makes that sounds super obvious and you know people might think it's crazy but this is just my opinion it's like uh here's a military scholarship to mit oops you're really smart you have a fake heart murmur we can't put you in the military here's a job at dupont oh here's some funding please start a big data firm and locate one mile from langley um and that's that's his career you're the wealthiest guy in washington dc for 20 years and uh that's his story up until he became a Bitcoiner. Now, like whether he's acting as part of like an orchestrated op trying to drag uh, America towards Bitcoin, I don't know. Like maybe he's acting totally in a personal capacity, um, trying to drag the country in the direction that he thinks best. And he's just a, a, you know, a patriotic dude. And that's totally possible. I don't actually know the answer to that question. But objectively speaking, you don't own a big data firm at all in the U.S., um, without being involved with intelligence that's just like that's just as far as i'm concerned just a given and and when you like layer in you know the fact that it's located a mile from langley and that he was on a military scholarship to mit and you know had this like heart murmur that he like couldn't you know couldn't go to battle like it's just <laughs> and that the heart murmur was fake it's just like it's uh it's all super um it seems pretty obvious so to push you a little further down that rabbit hole you mentioned you know, Michael Saylor may be working in some type of operative to bring America to Bitcoin or uh, Bitcoin to America. Um, we had kind of also talked a little bit about how the government in 1971 officially goes off the gold standard. And mm-hmm. the other night we had talked about how they could have been using 401ks and 30 year fixed rate mortgages to hide and help the American people participate in what they have been doing. And you kind of went on to talk about this unraveling of the credit economy, this deleveraging uh, process that we're in. And uh, and you mentioned something I thought was really interesting, and, and maybe Michael Saylor has something to do with this, but this idea that we're in the middle of the largest debt default that, that the world has ever seen, and either the United States has to default on their debt, or they've got to perpetually push it out into the future long enough to find the alternative and jump ship while... It, as it's sinking. Can you speak yeah, to well, that a little bit? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary. I would just say that you can only push it off for so long. Eventually you have to default, right? You can't, people aren't going to trust you infinitely. Like hypothetically, if you're someone who makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, um, no one's going to loan you a billion dollars, right? They'll loan you, you know, 50 grand. And then maybe you can kick that down and they'll loan you a hundred grand. And maybe, you know, maybe they'll get to 400 grand or 500 grand, but eventually someone's gonna be like, look, you can't pay this loan back. Like we're not lending you any more money. And, that's where the U.S. government's at right now. Um, they've kind of taken on as much debt as they can possibly take on. Um, at a certain point, interest payments start consuming your entire income, which in the case of the United States government's just tax receipts, right? Um, uh, tax receipts are income and, and you know, the debt load is just too big right now. And so we're at a point now where we just have to default on the debt. There's no, there's no chance of repaying it. Like the U.S. government has thirty trillion dollars of debt, and it doesn't have any way to repay it. It doesn't even pretend to have a way to repay it. It's not like, um, 
it's not like they're, you know, they're proposing a bunch of like potential uh, budget plans five years from now, or they're going to start generating surpluses and paying down the debt. And there's not, that's not, they're not even pretending there. There is no plan. They, so they will default on that. They have to be default. And they have another, not only do they not have a plan, they have a, their, their explicit plan is a further hundred trillion dollars of unfunded liabilities. So and another hundred trillion dollars of deficit spending um, with no, no one to fund it. There's no one's lending the U.S. government one hundred thirty trillion dollars. You know, foreign countries became net sellers of U.S. treasuries in 2014. Um, and so this all just has to kind of unravel. There's two ways to default on the debt. One is uh, the hard default of just like stopping their debt payments, which would, uh, you know, like those debt payments aren't. <laughs> You know, and as much as MMTers like to make them sound hypothetical, those are real debt contracts. And and what you're talking about is, um, you know, an employee at, at GM who worked his butt off and uh, earned more than he spent, saved for retirement, went into a retirement fund. That retirement fund's managed by some professional who's hired to avoid inflation, essentially. Um, and 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 they do that by you know building this diverse portfolio, which has a 60/40 mandate typically, where they've got 40% bond allocation. A big chunk of that is in U.S. Treasuries, and those U.S. Treasuries are, you know, artificially pinned at one percent, while inflation runs at, you know, eight percent. But really, it's obviously fifteen. Um, so, right now, we're in the middle of that. This debt default isn't hypothetical. Like, it's not like I, I'm. It's not some conspiracy theory that's like going to happen in the future. It's already we're already in it. Um, it's it started, you know, it's been going on for a long time, but it's really like picked up over the last couple of years where, you know, inflation's running at 15% and, you know, interest rates are pinned at 1%. So um, those, those GM workers are being defaulted on in real time right now. That's not, that's not a hypothetical that might happen, you know, in the next couple of years if the U.S. doesn't get its act together. It's just, it's already happened. Mm-hmm. And, so it's, I, and there's a long I way to go. You had you kind of mentioned it yesterday when we were when we were talking. Um, did you did you think about these things or notice these things before you dove down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and swallowed that orange pill? You know, I I did. So I went to school, um, studied money banking at a good university. I came out of there kind of fiat pilled. I thought there was a way to, um, uh, you know, bring like quote unquote, enlightened governance to the market for the price of money. And uh, I thought we could navigate that. And that was, you know, a pretty silly perspective in hindsight, especially because I was, you know, I was, I was studying money and banking while Lehman was crashing. Like that was my like fourth year money and banking course. We were literally watching that on TV. And so I was familiar with what was happening with the bailouts. And um, my perspective was, uh, was just that we we need to find a way to get the corruption out of government and then we can, you know, solve this problem. It was a very naive perspective in hindsight, obviously. I'm not trying to defend it or anything. Um, but that was my perspective at the time. I was a kid and uh, I spent, I heard about Bitcoin in 2011, thought it was stupid. It was like, we don't need this. We got this, et cetera. And then, you know, I would say around 2015, I started <laughs> thinking like, oh, we don't got this. And then, uh, but I was busy. I was starting businesses and stuff and, um, I would say around 2017, uh, Bitcoin just kind of ripped in my face and there was no denying that. So <clears throat> around that time, I ca- kind of talked to like the fourth or fifth person that I respected and thought was smart. And they were like, look, like you don't really know what you're talking about. You should you should dive in on this and try to steal men your anti-Bitcoin arguments. <clears throat> and I was like, OK, I'm a grown up. I can do that. Like, no problem. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll come back to you and like defeat you in a debate and uh you know if you're if you're honest and 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 um if you're if you're intellectually honest and humble enough to actually pursue that um Hmm. there's only one way down that (laughs) it was it was i was just sitting in my room just like totally humiliated (laughs) just like oh man i'm such an idiot i can't believe i believe this shit what what about uh Bitcoin broke for you first. Is it the store value? You were saying it yesterday too. Store value to you was uh most important aspect of it originally, or I would say um it was what really clicked for me at first was just this understanding of money as an emergent phenomenon. Like like 
I think that that's pretty clear and intuitive, but um, when that intellectually clicked for me, when someone articulated that and, and I, yeah, I fully understood that idea, um, it became very obvious to me that the, the market for monetary goods is a dynamic environment. It's always changing um, and anything can be money. And there's certain things that make things good at being money. And if something is bad at being money uh, and something better comes along, it's going to, it's going to edge it out. Yeah. And, you know, just Bitcoins. So the argument against Bitcoin is the argument that there's going to be a better money than Bitcoin. And so then you're stuck with trying to design a better money than Bitcoin. And, and that's, that's the real rabbit hole. That's a, that's a tough game. <laughs> no kidding. Well, money is, you compare money to time. I mean, like you get something you can't really like make, right? Like it's kind of its own being, its own phenomenon. Well, like you're well, saying, right? Say that again. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, um, it, different things emerged as the most saleable good, which is fundamentally what money is. Um, the good for which everything can be bought and sold. Um, and you know, gold kind of emerged on the two things, gold and, and debt tokens representing gold, um, emerged as the winners for, for that battle. And, uh, I think, it was, you know, 19th, 20th centuries, humans started to become aware of more consciously aware and started writing and refining the ideas around what makes a good money. And uh, it wasn't until Satoshi came along and figured out how to construct uh, the optimal money that, that we were able to actually um, to build something for that competition. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, it's like, to me, it's like, our money we have isn't terrible, right? It's really the people controlling the money. But the problem with that is, is that nobody should control money. <laughs> like that's that's kind of the issue, right? Like yeah, well, that was my that was the like it's like why is anybody even controlling money? It just doesn't make any sense now. Like looking at it the way well, that now, especially now it seems like a totally yeah. ludicrous idea now. Um, and and to certain people who you know who knew history better than I did, it looked ludicrous then, and, and you know that's. That's why Satoshi started Bitcoin. He's like, okay, I know how this, I know how this could end, and uh, he so he started Bitcoin. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I can't remember what I was going to say, but it's an interesting paradigm shift. Michael Saylor, although now that I'm thinking about your story a little bit, he might be a little bit of an op, but who knows? It seems like this Bitcoin stuff he is <laughs> acting on his own, um, his own interests. Just yeah, I have to... no idea. I have no idea. I'd be surprised if he hasn't talked to a few people, though. I'd but be surprised as well. Me. I yeah. mean, like, I'm also, I'd am i also be surprised if uh, the true up higher-ups, the ones really running the show for the United States, World Economic Forums, Trilateral Commissions, those kind of people, I'd be shocked if they didn't really, like, look at Bitcoin and have that same epiphany you had, where it's like, it's not, okay, it's not like, bitcoin's trying to really like it's not like bitcoin was made in defiance of the government it was made it's just a better money like that's it like you can cry about it all you want it is a better money yeah. like, it'd be shocking to me if people on that upper echelon didn't look at it through that lens at some point in the past like 13 years or so and when it comes to sailor I mean, he's just so good at articulating it and creating analogies and like really putting Bitcoin in the place that it deserves, I think. Like, because when you hear him talk, does he know as like as much about the technical side of Bitcoin as developers and things like that? No. But how he understands money and history and like where Bitcoin is at in history in terms of like technological revolutions, like he does articulate that aspect of it really, really well. I just don't know. This is a good question to lean into. Is this malevolence? What are the United States, particularly the United United States government and Federal Reserve, is it malevolence or is this on purpose? Like, I mean, do they know what they're doing or is this? Yeah, no, they know what they're doing. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think the idea, a lot of Bitcoiners disagree with me on this. I think uh, the idea that, you know, the U.S. government, especially the the people really pulling the strings here, are kind of naive incompetence. I, I think that idea is absurd. 
Um, I think they know exactly what they're doing. I think U.S. dollar as global reserve currency has been the key foreign policy imperative of every administration since FDR. Um, it's the one thing that's never in the news headlines, um, but always the the key imperative behind the scenes. I think if you look at all of the major foreign policy decisions made by every administration, um, they all have a background in, in the U.S. dollar. Um, I think the only administration that was maybe an exception is JFK. Uh but I don't, uh, may, maybe not well, even it didn't end up well for him. So right, exactly. So, you know, yeah, that. and you know, then Saddam starts, you know, threatening to sell oil for euros. You know, he gets capped, get off. He starts threatening to sell oil for gold. He gets capped. Um, it just seems very obvious. And, you know, and there's more too. it goes all the way back to the Saudis, 1971 and mm-hmm. uh, through the seventies. And yeah, there, and there's, and there's more too. Um, but yeah, the idea that they don't know what's going on is just, to me, it's ludicrous. It's just completely, that's like an absurd conspiracy theory as far as I'm concerned. Um, so it's... Hmm. right. No now, money slavery. I mean, because it is money slavery. What we are current, like the system that we're currently under is manufactured. Um, I mean, when you print money the way that they've done it, you are knowingly putting people in very, very like, poor situations you are knowingly uh like you were saying earlier when it comes to the home you are knowingly moving those goalposts forward for people who will never reach it and to me i think that's kind of the biggest thing that we just got done with the pandemic right everybody basically believes every government ever like we've we found out over the last two years which of your friends are just going to believe the government because they said something and which of them are going to actually like do a little bit of homework maybe even like you know be outwardly against what they're saying because they're like, it's wrong. Right. It's uh, it's really an interesting time because another question, I guess I would say is Bitcoin is now really at the forefront. A lot of the, a lot of these public issues, right? Because if you are a Bitcoiner, you kind of think if you fix the money, you can fix the world. Um, and if you're looking at the other lens, it's this crazy cryptocurrency that everybody's losing their money on half the time. And it's not really like, doing anything necessarily for the good, you know, so to speak. That's what a lot of people seem to say. They're like, well, there's no intrinsic value of Bitcoin. And I'm kind of just wondering, do you think Bitcoin is ahead of where it should be? Do you think we like in terms of like we're ahead? So there's a lot of people misunderstanding Bitcoin because the price of it just jumped up because of obviously mass inflation. I mean, like they printed 40 percent of our money supply because of COVID. Um, Do you think that has a huge role to do with why Bitcoin is so such a big issue. Do you think we're kind of on time with Bitcoin? Yeah, I think uh, it's. I think if you look at, um, you know, Alan Farrington has a good line about this. Uh, what would it look like, or what what would it seem like if it did seem like a, a global open source programmable uh, money was monetizing from absolute zero or something like that, and uh, it it would seem a lot like this. And, and that's, that's how I feel about it. I think that this is, we're on a roller coaster to 10 million um, in 10 million and, you know, in 2020 purchasing power, $10 million in 2020 stakes, I'd like say. Hmm. Um, and so what's that going to look like? What's well, not going to be a straight line to 10 million. It's going right. to be crazy, right? It's going to be a crazy roller coaster. And so I think this is exactly what you'd expect it to look like. I, I think we all expected the price to go a little bit higher on this run and, you know, maybe it still will. Um, but the reality is it's only going to get more unpredictable in the short term because there's just too much going on. Um, you know, like too much going on and there's not, I mean, it's still under a trillion dollar asset. So any big player can still mess with the price of it pretty much at their will. And I don't think people really understand that aspect of it either. Like sure. Bitcoin's volatile, but is it really that volatile? I mean, yep. you see how many people hate it. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's still like what? 30,000. And people are knowingly bashing this stuff, trying to get the price down, trying to basically cut out uh, Bitcoin's argument from underneath it. It's a really good thing. I think I've learned over the past two years in Bitcoin that Bitcoin does not care whatsoever about people's opinions it just kind of keeps on keeping on which yeah, is why I love it. yeah but do you view bitcoin if it is an investment right i mean like i view it as a savings technology but i mean it's a great investment as well because obviously it's not valued where it should be there's only 21 million of them what 
side of the Bitcoin investment sphere do you think is going to hit first in that goal of 10 million pegged to 2020? Do you think it's going to be people taking it as a store of value? Is it going to be big companies putting on a balance sheet? Is it going to be the fact that every McDonald's in the world now accepts Bitcoin? So people are like, shoot, might as well buy some. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be yeah. a bit of everything. It's going to depend on who hears the signal, right? Like, right. Um, let's say Sailor's not an op, right? Like he's just, you know, a guy with a balance sheet problem, like he said, who just did the work. He did the yeah. work of like trying to understand Bitcoin. He took 100 hours. He's a smart guy. And he just read and listened with you know like real authentic humility and and uh came with the other side and bought bitcoin um it's just a process of the whole world doing that and you know some people will never do that probably 90 plus percent of people will never actually do that they'll just um you know opt in intuitively or because their brother or friend or parent or whatever t- told them like this is the real deal and they try to um, and, you know, then those people get shaken out because they don't have real conviction and they'll be in a whole other process. It'll just be um, this this long process of, of the world getting orange built. And, uh, you know, we'll fly up to 500K and we'll crash back down to 50K and we'll go to who knows where. Um, it's just going to be a roller coaster. It's going to be and it's going to be corporations. But like, you know, here's a good example. Like um, Sailor bought billions of dollars worth for his corporate balance sheet. My brother took a loan out against his house to buy a little bit. Um, my sister bought with a line of credit. Um, so, so like, a, like a little loan on a house, right? Like, let's say, let's say hypothetically you have a million dollar house and you've got two hundred grand worth of home equity, right? And you go take a thirty thousand uh, dollar line of credit and and you buy some Bitcoin. That is money flowing out of the real estate market and into Bitcoin. Right. That's a demonetization of, of real estate as a store of value into Bitcoin. Um, so it's going to happen in those little chunks. And someone else will have a million dollars and they'll have a million dollars of home equity and, and they'll take, you know, 500,000 or they'll take 20,000 or they'll take 100,000. Like, you know, everyone's going to make their own decision. And it's, it, the point is that that's all happening right now. That's not, you know, and then there's people who just, you know, young, young people in Toronto who are, you know, clued into the degenerate nature of culture there. Um, they'll take that, you know, that, that they're trying to save for a house. They'll take that 20 grand a year. They're trying to save for a house and they'll just put it into Bitcoin. And so maybe they don't have any like home equity right now. Um, but this is their alternative and they're just going to start using it as a savings technology, uh, right away. And then there's going to be, you know, nation states that start adopting it and, and start, um, you know, like I could see a, like a state uh, I, and I think there's states working on this. I think like Wyoming, Texas, Oklahoma, I wouldn't be surprised if they start making like one, two percent allocations. Right. Let's say their state treasury has, you know, a 10 percent allocation to gold and a one percent allocation to Bitcoin and the rest is in treasuries. That's probably going to get you through. That's going to that's going to probably make you whole on the other side of this whole default. Bitcoin's going to 300 X. So it'll probably it'll probably three X mm. your treasury, Right. Um, mm. So. It's going to be this weird dynamic kind of like mishmash of corporate purchases and individual savings and and sovereign buying and uh, you know everything in between. Uh, kind of a kind of a quicker question for you, Sean. You you've been in Bitcoin a lot longer than the two of us have. Um, I know that I've dealt with my own struggles of having conversations with people that haven't done the research right. And and we were talking about the other night over dinner. Um, whenever you sit down and you have have dinner with somebody, you know, like the two of us, you know, if the three of us were to go to dinner, we can have a, a much higher level conversation about Bitcoin than we could with somebody that hasn't dove down the rabbit hole. Right. Um, at this point, you've been in much longer than we have. Do you get tired of just like the the very low level question or the low level objection? You're like, OK, so you haven't done any. Research. Never. I never get tired of it, man. It's because, uh, <laughs> you know, like. I haven't been in it that long. I've only been in Bitcoin for four, four years ish now. And uh, I remember, man, I'm like, no, I'm not a technical person. So I really remember like being really intimidated by, uh, you know, all those, you know, Bitcoin kind of be broken down into like 10 different topics. And each one was intimidating to me aside from like the macro money stuff. Um, And so I have a lot of sympathy for people with questions. And uh, I'm, I'm I love helping people through those because uh, hmm. because I identify with them. That's awesome, man. Well, 
you know, we're going to have to have you on again at some point in the future to continue shedding light on those questions that people have. You know, Griff, maybe we got to find a, a way to make, you know, whenever we've got guests coming on, let's let's find more ways to structure questions for for these people to, to talk about and think about um, live on the show with us. You know, I think that would be fun. Um, but Sean, it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure for you to or for us, for you to hop on with us. Uh, to kind of share a little bit about your story, a little bit about your experience and perspective in the Bitcoin world and how it how it relates to, you know, what real life is. Um, so, man, where, where can people connect with you? I know right down here we've got Twitter. Um, we've got your your handle down there. I, I know you're pretty active on there. I've seen you on there. Dude, like I think today I saw like you posted you were very active today. I'm, I'm a bit too active on there. Don't follow me. I'll just uh, spam your feed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, honestly, no, you were, you were posting some good stuff. The big piece of Bitcoin, though, is the community aspect of it because there is a pretty solid community. And I think it's really interesting that you're like, I don't get tired of answering questions. Man, everybody I've met in Bitcoin is pretty good people. I mean, like, you guys could stop me if you've met some assholes that are in the Bitcoin space. Oh, that's a fact. That's a fact. You know, there are assholes, don't get me wrong, but like, not the bad kind of asshole, the asshole that's just kind of trying to tell you the truth, not the asshole who's trying to lie to you. You know what I'm saying? A lot of straight up. careful about confusing those two. Yeah, there's got to be like, there is, if I was to say one defining trait of Bitcoiners I've met at this point, it's like most Bitcoiners who are really about Bitcoin, not like, no, no fool's game about it. They're pretty straight up people in like all areas of their life. They don't really see much use to lie. They don't use it. It's not an effective tool for them, you know, and you fit that bucket, obviously, like you're spitting some really good truth. So hopefully a lot of people listen. I like your spam account. I'll follow him on Twitter. I'll tell you what. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff for sure. I'm a broken record. I just say the same shit over and over again. <laughs> hey, but sometimes the same thing over and over again is hard for people to understand. It's like, I mean, how to keep it simple. It's like a lot of the concepts I think we're talking about are not really that confusing. It's more people just aren't open-minded to it. You know, they're just yeah, like so happy in the current way they do things like that. They just don't want to change at all. But sometimes and basically every, every, every tweet I make will be 100% uh, contradiction from what you'll see in the mainstream. So if you're used to seeing mainstream stuff and then you show up on my Twitter feed, you're going to be like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Well, that's a good thing. I think we need, we definitely need more opinions like that. We don't need more, I mean, we don't need more mainstream. I think that's a fact. I mean, my, uh, tired of all the same stuff. Oof, it's brutal. But yeah, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. We're going to have to get you on again and do it once, you know, like one time, not twice. But, uh, we've had so many good clippable things, I feel like, from the past two conversations. And I think that's a, just a great point. You don't need 100,000 followers to know a lot about Bitcoin. That's the cool part. Uh, there's people who have 2,000, people who have 100. They, oh, know, yeah. most they know a lot, you know, a lot of good information. Yeah, most of the most knowledgeable people I've met in Bitcoin have like 38 followers. Or two. Yeah, they're not even like real. They're, like, meetups <laughs> around they're, they're like bots. Or at least you might think they're a bot. And then you're like, no, well, that person's legit right there. Yeah, well, and usually they're just too busy actually building shit to be on twitter yeah. <laughs> that makes sense you know if you actually understand bitcoin at a really deep technical level um you're probably doing more important things than you know broken record spam in uh, twitter yeah that's a good point well that's what i'll keep doing because i don't know how to do this. <laughs> so i'll just keep spam. I'll, just, I'll just keep promoting the good the good nature that is bitcoin awesome guys absolutely. well thanks for having Sean. Me. yeah absolutely we'll see you next time brother all right boys later peace Good find, Nick. Fun good find. Man. Huh? I mean, like, it's, it's, I said good find. It's hard to find good guests, hard to find good people. And you found both all in one. So I don't know how you want to take us out today, but uh, that was a good interview. And for those of you that don't know, we had like a 30 minute conversation yesterday. It was like Little House on the Prairie over there in Oklahoma for Nick. Uh, <laughs> couldn't get the audio working. So we're like 38 minutes into that conversation. And we were having a really good conversation, honestly. And Nick was like, yeah, I have not heard a thing. And this is actually <laughs> the guest that Nick met and Nick found. So we didn't want to leave Nick, obviously, out of the whole episode. So we redid it again today. Well, it was funny because I, I went back and listened to it after we had gotten off. And you guys were having a great conversation. It was really good because you guys' yeah. recordings, everything was super clear. And I was listening to it. I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. These are good. That's a good question. That's a good question.
Yeah, so, he's a really, uh, he's, I really, I really love hearing about uh, his story. You know, it's it's interesting looking back on, uh, or I say looking back to for him to look back on what his experience has been being in for four years. You know, I mean, we haven't been in for that long, and to see kind of what his thoughts were on how the community has has changed, um, what he's learned over over that time period, um, and so yeah, it's 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 fun to to see the community of Bitcoin. Uh, we have gotten to connect it, with it more and more as the, you know, as we're building the show, as we've been in it longer. And man, I, I, I really love the Bitcoin community, man. I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. Excited to yeah. be a part of it. Let's leave it on that high note right there. Well, guys, thank you for listening to another episode of the Nick and Griff show. And we will see you next time. Peace. Peace.